A Focus Summary of Chapters 32-36 to 36 of Bugjargal Biasu had again taken his place on the chief's throne, with the Obi seated on his right and Rigaud on his left, when three groups of Negroes arrived through the entrance with hideous shouts. Each brought a prisoner for Biasu, who was to decide the manner of their death. Doverny recognized one of them as Citizen C., the man who had proposed to the governor a monstrous method of suppressing the insurrection, and then, to defend himself against accusations of cruelty, had boasted of his correspondence with lovers of the Negro race. The other was the planter rumored to be of mixed origin, who condescended to the mulattoes to prove he should not be counted among them. Biasu asked the third of the men, "'Who are you?' and he bit his lip as the man identified himself as Jacques Bélan, carpenter at Cap, and Biasu's first master. Bélan refused to bow to Biasu, instead taunting him defiantly with the story of the sale of his mother. With his sardonic, tiger-like smile, Biasu said simply, Good, and then ordered his men to get two trestles, two planks, and a saw, so that they could give him a proper carpenter's death. Bélan turned to him proudly and thanked him, saying he had once sold him for thirteen piastres, and it was now clear that that was much more than he was worth. The other two prisoners, more timid and terrified than the boastful carpenter, trembled in every limb. Biesu decided first to toy with them, taking pleasure in prolonging their agony. When Citizen C. addressed Biesu as my lord, Biesu accused him of being an aristocrat— and when he then called him citizen, Biasu angrily ordered that he leave off with his Jacobin jargon. Citizen C was beside himself with fear of how to address his captor, while Biasu, whose anger was only pretended, cruelly enjoyed his embarrassment. When Citizen C boasted of being a Negrophile, acquainted with the partisans of the Negroes and mulattoes, Biasu delighted in raging against the contradiction between his claim and his use of terms invented out of contempt by the whites. Then Biasu asked Citizen C, Do you love the Negroes and mulattoes? And while Citizen C tried again to offer his acquaintance with the Negrophiles as proof, Biasu interrupted to ask what he thought should be done with a man who, in an effort to crush a slave rebellion, placed the heads of fifty black men on pikes and then proposed that the same be done to surround the town of Cap. Terrified, Citizen C cried out for mercy, and then, in the vain hope that Biasu did not know him to be the author of this proposition, he declared that it was an atrocious crime, and that its author deserved death. Then he again started inventorying his negrophile correspondence. Biasu interrupted to say he cared nothing about the citizen's correspondence, but he did care that having so many contacts with merchants around the world must mean he was rich. When Citizen C denied it, Biasu asked with a shake of his head what good he was if he had nothing that could be plundered. Seeing an opportunity for safety, the prisoner supplicatingly offered up his skills. He said he could serve as Biasu's economist, ordering and improving the resources of his kingdom— but Biasu objected that he had no kingdom to govern. He said he could act as his commissary, putting to use his knowledge of cattle breeding. But Biasu objected that he had no intention of breeding cattle, only of eating them. He could show Biasu how to manufacture pitch, 
teach him how to work coal mines, instruct him in the proper use of all kinds of wood. And finally, Biesu cried out impatiently that he had only one vacancy in his suite, and that was for the position of valet, carrying his pipe, cooking his soup, and fanning him with feathers. Citizency bent to the earth and accepted this position with a thousand expressions of gratitude. The diabolical sneer of Biasu then became more pronounced, and thrusting aside the prostrate citizen's head with his foot, he cried out to the crowd before him how delighted he was at being able to prove how far the cowardice of the white man could go. He then confessed to citizency that he knew all along it was he who had placed fifty negro heads along his avenue in place of palms, and that it was he who proposed they encircle the town of Cap with the heads of the captured insurrectionists and, saying he had more regard for the citizen's honor than he himself had, he ordered him to prepare for death. Without a word, the prisoner fell to the ground fainting. Biasu then looked to the last of the new prisoners, the planter accused of being a mulatto, and told him it was his turn. The crowd of Negroes cried out for his death, and one among them could be heard above the uproar, saying he was a white man and must die. The planter called this accusation an infamous calumny. He insisted that he was one of them, a mulatto, the son of a negress, and that he detested the whites. The crowd called him a liar and continued to clamor for his death. But Biasu asked him to give proof. The planter offered as proof that the whites had always despised him. But Biasu, rightly unconvinced, pointed out that while that was true— he had always looked down on the mulattoes and resented being classed among them. When the planter pleaded, with tears in his eyes, that he was a mulatto, Biasu pointed out that if he really was a mulatto, he would not make use of that term. Biasu then offered him a method by which he could prove his assertion and save himself. He could take a dagger and stab the two white prisoners. The planter first drew back from the dagger, then stretched his hand out for it, then let his arm fall again. Biasu demanded impatiently that he make his choice, but the planter stood as if he had been turned to stone. But when Biasu proclaimed that since he refused to be the executioner, he would be the victim, the planter snatched the dagger, rushed upon citizency, and held the gleaming steel above his head. The citizen, roused from his stupor, started to his feet, grasped the arm of his attacker, and pleaded with him to spare his life. Oblivious to the conversation that had just taken place, he sued for mercy by promising never again to call the planter a mulatto, but to avow everywhere that he was a white man. The half-caste ordered him to be silent, and when he only cried out louder, the planter pressed the blade into Citizen Z's chest, and he fell dead. While Dauverny was paralyzed with horror at this scene, Biasu gazed upon it without flinching. The Negroes appeared terrified by the disturbing drama enacted before them. One white man remained to be slaughtered, and that was Dauverny himself. The man about to become his executioner stood quivering, passing his hand mechanically across his brow as if to wipe away the traces of blood. He could not take his haggard eyes off the body of his victim. This man had once tried to kill Dauverny to prove he was white. Now he would murder him to prove he was a mulatto.
Just then, Biesu relieved him of his gruesome responsibility, saying he was pleased with the work he had done and appointing him executioner to the army. A negro then stepped from the crowd to voice his displeasure that such an important post was being given to a white man when none had been given to him, a true black. Biesu asked the man what position he desired and what he had done to earn it. The negro offered an emphatic account of his many bloody accomplishments, from the burning of estates to the murder of his master to the killing of a white child whose head on the point of a spear served as a standard for Buckman's army. Even Rigaud could not bear his cynical confessions of deeds of violence. Biesu expressed satisfaction with his accomplishments, but said he would be promoted only if he could prove he knew Latin. The articulation of this arbitrary and insincere standard, meant only as an excuse to withhold the promotion, was followed by a burlesque scene in which the Negro confessed his ignorance of Latin, while Biesu and the mulatto planter made a pretense of understanding it. Shamed by his phony superiors, the Negro returned to the rear ranks in humiliation. Biesu was served his exotic breakfast of turtle soup, maize bread, and a bottle of wine, and without ordering the corpse before him to be carried away, he began to eat. Rigaud joined him, but the obi refused, trying to perpetuate an image of himself as a supernatural being that lived without food. Biesu ordered the march pass to commence, and the first to parade by were the soldiers of the Morn Rouge. In a whisper, Biesu questioned Rigaud about when he would be free of these men he loathed, who followed the example of their imbecile chief, Bugjargal, in his displays of generosity and magnanimity. He expressed his delight that Bugjargal had been captured, and his desire that he be killed like Buckman. The mention of Buckman reminded Rigaud that the messenger who had brought word of his death was still among the ranks, and that he might reveal that he had brought the news in advance of the Obi's prophecies. Distressed, Biesu called forward the messenger, and searching for a cause to condemn him, asked how he dared appear in the parade with his breeches torn and his feet muddy. The man offered the very sound reason that he had run without stopping to take breath to bring news of the death of Buckman. Biesu, who cared nothing for reason, and only for his own excuse to rid himself of this threat, still censured him for the disorder of his dress, and ordered him to have himself shot. The messenger did not utter a protest, but bowed his head, saluted his judge, knelt before the obi for absolution, and obeyed. A few minutes later a gunshot was heard, and Biesu turned to Rigaud with a gleam of satisfaction in his eye, and gave a triumphant chuckle.